Our readings this morning point us to the notion revealed to us that the church is essentially a participation in the person and ongoing life of Jesus Christ. That's an important big thought because while that allows for the institutional forms of the church, it makes that which is primary, primary. And that is to say again, the church is essentially a participation in the person and ongoing life of Jesus Christ. And within that essential oneness, uh, there's no divide between clergy and laity. We're all together mutually taking part in the divine life, right? That just makes obvious sense. If there's Christ who's the head and he has one body, then that means he doesn't have like two bodies, one of which is called laity and the other which is called clergy, right? That just wouldn't make any sense. We're all mutually sharing together in one body. But within this fundamental wholeness, there is a particularity. In the same way that my one body is a whole, there's a particularity between my hand and my elbow, right? But they, they function together in one body. So in this particularity, there are some women and some men who are called to serve the church in specific ways. But nothing hierarchical, there's no hierarchical structure here, of especially of value that's in view. It's not as if clergy are of more value in the body of Christ than laity. So in practice, there isn't two classes of people. It's not as if some people like me who wear interesting clothes are professional Christians and everybody else is, you know, uh, an amateur. No, what's in view here is that all of us all together are meant to be really passionate amateurs in the sense of we don't do what we do for money, right? Do you think of that distinction? Like professional golfers, they, they, they do what they do for money. And then you have amateurs, some who might practice as much and give as much as their life to it, but they just don't want to be out on the PGA Tour. They're bankers or their custodians at a high school or something. I mean, so what the vision that I want us to have this morning is that all of us together, whether we're wearing collars or not, all of us together are a part of the one body of Christ and all of us are passionate amateurs trying to do our best to participate in the ongoing life of Jesus on earth. Now, this participation in the Church of Christ is, begins with a kind of a first kind of descriptor of how this comes about. It begins with this notion of election, and we've talked about this before, of callingness or being chosen. And I've, I've said to you, I think, several times that election is never unto privilege in the scriptural narrative. Election is a kind of choosing out in order to give ourselves to Christ in serving of the whole body of Christ, and the whole world. This is enabled by the sending of the Spirit, who's a lot, who allows us then to live into and participate in the life of Christ on earth today. And then a core aspect of that is sending. And John 20, for me, is kind of the model moment for this, where Jesus appears to his disciples, he pronounces peace to them, he breathes on them. He exhales his own life. So now think of what I've said so far about the church being essentially a participation in the life of Jesus on the earth today. He breathes his very own spirit into them. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then says, even as the Father sent me, so I send you. Now, we don't have time for a big Greek lesson here, but the Greek construct there is amazing. 
I mean, Jesus is linking himself to his sending from the Father and then links us in that very same way as we're sent into the world, animated, energized, empowered by the Spirit. So there's a there's an, kind of an unavoidable, but that sounds negative, there's a lovely sentness to being a Christian that includes people wearing collars and includes people who are doing every other thing in human society. So in this sending, there's the notion that everybody gets to play. Now, one of my earliest mentors was a man called John Wimber, who was the founder of Vineyard Churches. And one of his most passionate notions was this phrase that everybody gets to play. And John just wanted people to know that everybody gets to play in the gifts of the Spirit. Everybody gets to hear God's calling. Everybody gets to hear God's voice. Everybody gets to receive guidance by the Spirit, that this isn't something that only belongs to a few special certain groups of people, that this is for everybody. And I would like that to kind of just hang over us this morning as we go through the rest of this message and this ordination that all of us are called to play in the kingdom of God. So our gospel readings, if you look at them, the first one in Luke 9, <clears throat> is this um, you know, very famous passage of Jesus sending out the 12 and giving them the things that we all need to play. If we're going to play in this game, we all need, you'll notice he gives them power. Power is the dunamis, and, it, and it, for us it would mean something just like capacity. He gave them the ability to play in this game that he was sending them out to play. You can see next that he gives them authority. This is authoritain. This is a this is close to being commissioned. Or 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 think of if we weren't ordaining um, ministers this morning. What if we were at a, a a police academy thing where they were graduating from the academy and they were being given a badge that authorized them to operate in the name of the city of Costa Mesa or something. So that that's the sense of authority. And, and he gives them authority uh, specifically, but not limited to, authority over demons and to cure diseases. And then you see, thirdly, here's this sentness. This is just a part of what it means to be the church. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And so what I want you to see here is not so much a job or a burden or something that we have to do, but I want you to see it as Jesus is sharing his own life and ministry. He's saying, I'm not keeping this to myself. I'm sharing it with you. And then he's commissioning them to go out and do it. And so you see the text says that, so they departed. They went through all the villages near them, preaching the gospel and healing people wherever they went. A recent book I read uh, called Missa Est. Missa Est, I'm not good at Latin, but Missa Est is one of the very last words in the Latin liturgy, you know, where we say, go in peace, so... Missa est is one of the, the very last words, and it has to do with departure. And so the argument of this author in the book is that the church exists in departure. That the church doesn't exist simply here around word and around table, but the church exists. There's like an essentialness in the church's departure as we all go out into our normal, everyday, ordinary lives, our eating, sleeping, drinking, getting up, going to work, walking around lives. We exist in that departure. Now, we have not done this much, but maybe you will in the months ahead, uh, to have a dismissal. <laughs> in which somebody actually says, and this is where these Latin words come from, go. So the very last words of a Eucharistic service are typically go. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. 
And that's just meaning to try to capture this essential sentness that all of, we, all of us have, not just ministers, not just missionaries, but all of us are sent into our lives in peace and love to serve the Lord. And then if you look at Luke 10, uh, this is another sort of pattern uh, model sort of text where the sending is now um, given to the 70 or the 72. And Jesus says it's because the harvest is plentiful and that the laborers are few that there is this go-ness or this sentness that's core to any disciple of Jesus. And again, we don't have time this morning, but if we were thinking through the narrative of Luke, we would see that by this time in Luke's gospel, there's kind of an urgency to this. But while there's an urgency, there's no fear-based anxiety. Anxiety has no sense of purpose attached to it. Urgency often has a deep sense, a deep focused sense of a picture of this is where I'm heading to, but anxiety is often just kind of a free-floating thing, and that's not what's involved here. Some of you may know John Cotter, the famous Harvard professor on leadership. Cotter said that the true ur- that, that true urgency may sometimes involve moving fast, but the most important aspects of true urgency are steadiness and the purposeful pursuit of a goal. So again, let that land on you kind of imaginatively, evocatively, emotionally, that those, there's an urgency here. And though there's always been an urgency to a sentence in the church for 2,000 years, um, that's a very different thing than being anxious about the current state of our culture. Are you feeling me here? Like when our practices are animated by an anxiety about how things are today, That's a very different thing than having a kind of purposeful urgency that's rooted in what you know to be an an actual sentness from God. Not just the idea of it, but that my life as a public school teacher matters. That my life as a therapist matters. My life as a professor matters. My life as an accountant matters. That there's there's not just a -a workaday rhythm to it, there is but there's a sentness that underlies that. And that this sentness can happen in a kind of relaxedness. That partnership with Jesus is expressed in a rich variety of ways based on your stage in life. Ooh, just a moment ago when we were rehearsing, I saw, maybe it was Daniel, I saw Daniel running in and I said to Jen, I remember when I used to run. <laughs> like. I'm just in the stage of life where I just don't run anymore, you know? I mean, my knees, my hips, everything just says, you know, like, time out. And that same principle is true spiritually. So young moms, you know, just stop beating yourself up that you can't sit quiet for three hours in a day and just enjoy your sentness as a young mom. And those of you who are feeling old, And like you can't do near as much as you used to be able to do. Learn to embrace the beauty of old age. Learn to just notice the sentness that you have. Or if you're in college, just stop saying to yourself, it'll be different when I graduate. And be present to the moment you're in now. Accepting it as the place, it's the venue in which you express this essential Goness that there is in discipleship to Jesus. So your stage of life, your gift mix, your temperament, your faith development, all these things will play into how you experience this sentness and this goness and just relax about it. Just be at peace with it. Make yourself present to your life in Christ and where, where you need to change. Trust me, he'll tell you.
And then lastly, I love this uh, passage in 1 Peter 2, and that's why I picked it for this morning. Again, I think it's just such a lovely mental picture of, if you look at it, of Christians being living stones who are being built by God into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So again, here you see this imagination as, as though there are priests in our Anglican tradition, there's another sense in which all of us belong to this holy priesthood. And as I was thinking about this this week, I realized that over the years, I probably haven't talked about this enough. It just never dawned on me. But I want to say this morning, and if you're not a normal member of Holy Trinity, just excuse us here for a minute. But I want you to know that this passage is what has always shaped my imagination about you. Like, this is why you've experienced me as you've never been like pawns in my game being used to reach my vision. My, my mental model for you for all these years has been you are all substantive people in Christ. You all have your own roles in the world. And all I was really ever trying to do was create a space that was peaceful and quiet, that was rich in thoughtfulness, and quiet and beauty, so that you could find nourishment in God for your own life. Now, in hindsight, I might have overplayed that hand a little bit. Again, I didn't do it on purpose, but I might have. You know, maybe we could have done more together. You know, but, but it just always felt like you all had such robust lives in the world. And you all can fix that in the months to come. You can find some things, <laughs> you can find some things to do together and uh, be your own people. So I've just always seen and valued your giftedness and your giftedness has guided me more than my sense of my own and your robust uh, roles in the world, your various ministries, lots of you in this room have your own ministries. And so I was just trying to find or create a space in which you could find refreshment for what I knew you were already doing in the world. And I wanna say that I've noticed in these last few months that they have been marked by astounding new levels of buy-in and astounding new levels of people using their gifts. I mean, and I, I see that especially with the church council, but I see it beyond the church council as well in many different areas. So I kind of feel like I've been watching Peter's vision of the church come true, that I can see that you really are a chosen people and that you really are a royal priesthood. You really are a holy nation and you are God's special possession. You're not mine. Your living stones. The architecture of the church is essentially biological and spiritual. It is not functional, utilitarian, or institutional. What's going on here is essentially more like biological. And that biological metaphor means that we're all unified and linked to Christ and trying to serve Christ together.